Hey guys, you are listening to episode one of Dr. Bubble is your new therapy, a podcast series created by Hearing Win, a woman who's very knowledgeable about technology and podcast. But here I am stepping out of my fucking comfort zone to thrive because why not? Like I don't have anything else better to do these days than being a creator slash producer slash creative director wannabe. So if you're here... It means you're curious or bored out of your clucking mind. Yes, that's right. I named my podcast series, Dr. Bubble is your new therapy. And this podcast isn't about practicing medicines or science. So if you are offended that I'm not a real doctor, here's my song I've dedicated for you. You don't know me. You don't know me. So shut up, boy. Now take a hike. Dr. Bubble went way back, all right? This was my nickname back in the days when I was 12 and wanted to be a fucking psychologist or a pathologist, whatever I wanted to be to get people shit together. So I basically came up with quote-unquote fans or what you guys call it nowadays, followers, yes. I had imaginary clients and made up questions about love and relationships when I was 12. Fantastic, wasn't it? I was a very busy teenager. I would answer these questions and printed them in hard copies like fucking manuscripts. Seriously didn't know what sustainability was. And my parents found them. And read them, and yes, you guessed it, it was embarrassing. First of all, for a young girl who didn't have a clue what a relationship was, except from learning it from manga and anime, thank you, I was one of those, wanted to give advice and helped my imaginary friends or clients. I was indulged in the idea that people came out of my office or my imaginary office and grateful for my help. Wow. That sounded very naive. I still try to remember why Dr. Bubble, but came up with nothing. So I am honoring my greatest uh, nickname I've created for myself and embracing it like puppy love. In fact, my mom just mentioned about it the other day and she still remembered it like yesterday. So it's great. It's also my Facebook email address, which I don't use anymore and has been a hundred years ago. Not sure if my podcast is your therapy. Maybe, maybe not. We shall see. But now you are here. I cling on to you like a fucking leech that crawls on your skin and makes its way into your soul. Like I belong there and shout, keep me, bitch, keep me. It's too late to back out. If you're not my friend or don't know who I am, but this podcast somehow falls under your radar, you can officially consider me as your new imaginary friend during this pandemic. So imagine we would meet in a different circumstance. I would not be this sarcastic at all, okay? I'm usually a very nice and polite chick who would say thank you and sorry like a fucking mantra and would not spoo the fucking, 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 fucking all over the floor like some cheap beer. I would be reserved and how should I put this? Like a girl next door. Yes, that's my nickname when I was younger. I am nice 96% of the time and also a very confused soul. I am 28, but my favorite sentence I like to give out for free is, I'm confused. 
use sex on a stick. Frick, I'm confused. Okay, you get the gist. What I'm trying to get across here is that no matter where you are right now in your life, you be lost and confused sometimes, and not in a cute and silly way. Like really, Hillary, you're going to make people explain to you the difference between Coke and Pepsi. Wow, that's uh, delightful. So a little bit about myself. I like my coffee hot in the morning because otherwise I'm cranky as fuck. Nice to meet you. I like food to the point my friends muted my Instagram story because I've overshared pictures of food, and for some reason I sympathized with them because I know the pain of looking at food you wish you could eat but you could not reach, like some sort of unrequited love. So yeah, I want to hug them out so many times. They say they hate me for doing that to them. Okay, in order for you to know me better, you will need to come back and listen for other episodes too. Because I'm not that simple. I have layers, people. It takes time to peel everything off. And I guess this podcast will be about me, um, maybe true crimes a lot of times, and hopefully some free advice if I get anonymous questions using my non-existent psychology degree. But hey, you can take it or leave it. So some of you might have already known about my love for true crimes. You are listening at your own discretion. Please cover one ear. You have been warned. So I have listened and read and watched quite a lot of crazy things that related to crimes. And all I have to say is, hold your tits because it is fucking wild. It is nasty and inhuman, and I can't stop digging because I'm a fucking curious soul. So today, let me tell you this story about Daniel Laplante. I usually like to read about these hoes' lives, why it drives them to kill or do the things they do. So Daniel was born in a town called Towson, Massachusetts, and you all—he's still alive right now to this day. We didn't really have a lot of people who spoke about him. So we only knew a bit about his childhood through Daniel Laplante's himself. Daniel claimed that he was mentally, physically, and sexually abused by his own dad. And we don't necessarily know if it's true. Maybe it is, but everything about this guy is just fishy, and all his adult figures in his life seem very fishy. So, well, he was abused by his dad at a very young age. And during school, he was diagnosed with dyslexia, which means it makes it really difficult to read and write. So it's really sad, and that kind of put a damper on things as well. Now, kids at school also said he was a weirdo. He was like a creep in the corner, and he had like a thick layer of grease on his hair, and he was a smelly kid. And as an adult, when you see kids like that. You probably just think maybe he needed some love and attention from his family, but it was so bad to the point he couldn't make any friends. And one of the teachers actually recommended that he should go see a child psychiatrist because of his general scare for hygiene and for personal appearance. Like he wasn't showering much or doing anything to improve himself. It was what they called to be abnormal behavior. Anyway, he did go see a child psychiatrist, and people. This is why child psychiatry is so important. 
This could have been a turning point for Daniel Laponte. This could have been the turning point when he could tell everything that was happening in his life at home. However, it didn't end up that way. So allegedly, the child psychiatrist sexually abused Daniel for a year straight, and that is fucking messed up. I know pedos and child predators are everywhere. It drives me fucking nuts. And so Daniel stopped seeing that psychiatrist after one year, and comes his teenage years. He spent those years robbing houses, and I sort of get why because this might have been a direct result of his childhood. It wasn't like he was evil at this point, I think. And he got this psychological thrill where he moved things around in people's homes, and he wanted people to go psychologically crazy. A lot of times, he even left things behind. And don't get me wrong; he would sometimes steal stuff, like valuable stuff. But he also leave things behind, like a shoe or something. And you would come home, and you would be like, "Whose fucking shoe is this?" And people would go absolutely nuts and confused. And Daniel was just obsessed with it, with playing my games with people. And it was probably some sick entertainment for him, and he was still living with his family at this point. Yes, he needed the money. He was robbing, so he could resell these valuables. But some of the things that he stole just didn't make any sense. And this was not an organized crime situation, so he was just into playing these crazy mind games with people. And when he turned sixteen, he was like, "Okay, I'm sick." Of just burglarizing these homes, I want something deeper, something darker, like psychological torture of another human being. When I go into someone's house and mush it around, I can't even be there to enjoy it real time, and I can't even ask them to call me on Facetime and be like, "Hey, bitch, how you feel, huh?" Well, that's what I'm guessing, and it annoyed the heck out of him not being able to see the reaction of people. Somehow he got the number and the address to a local family, and this was the family of Annie and Jessica, two daughters and a dad. And I think his name was Brian, the dad. And the daughters were around the same age as Daniel Laponte, also two teenage girls. Now some reports did say that this house was the house that he has robbed at one point, and some said it was a random choice. But there hasn't been specified how he got their phone number. And he started calling the landline number, and he knew the girls' names. And he asked to talk to Annie, and and Daniel said, you know, one of your school friends had given me your number because I thought we would be a good match. And I go to a nearby school, and I think you're just very pretty. So they sort of started talking and flirting on the phone, and he started catfishing. Okay, and he said he was blonde, athletic. A jock, he's a popular boy. He's Hercules, and he was describing himself like fucking Chris Hemsworth. And this sixteen-year-old girl Annie was eating it up. She was like, "Yes, Chris. Yes, ooh, you sound so hot." And this was back in the days when there was no freaking Facebook or Instagram, so she couldn't just go on this host profile and checked and confirmed his real face, right? So one day they were talking about the local fair that was coming up soon, and they talk about going to the fair together as a date. 
first time meeting and maybe we could like hold hands and maybe sneak a kiss. And then he was like, sure. And Daniel offered to pick her up and ask for her address. Even though this bits or a new address, but you know, had to act innocent. So the fair came around and Annie took a lot of time to get ready to go on this date with this beautiful boy she imagined. And when he arrived, she looked out and saw a completely different person. Wait, this is not Chris Hemsworth. You talking pimples, disheveled, you know, oil ridden hair, greasy and black. And maybe that was probably not Annie's type. And that's okay. People have preferences. But this person was completely opposite to what Annie was expecting. But she was like, well, we did get along very well on the phone. And, you know, maybe there was a reason he lied. Maybe he was just insecure. And she was a very nice girl, very understanding. So she still went on this date with Daniel and they went to this fair. It was just horrific. She started opening up to him and confiding in him that her mom just passed away from terminal cancer. And Annie said it seemed like Daniel was just obsessed with it. He kept asking questions and a lot of them were not even sheer curiosity or just small talks. The questions went along the line of, what was it like? What was the feeling the moment you found out she died? Or how much she was suffering from cancer before she died? It was just distasteful and invasive questions. Like, those are not the questions you would ask someone when they tell you that their loved ones just passed away. So it made her very uncomfortable. And so she made an excuse to leave um, early. Like, my sister is crying or something. I have to leave. And the next few days when Daniel called, she never picked up the phone again. And she didn't see him for a couple of months. So one day, Annie and Jessica went down to the basement in the house. And at this point, mind you, Daniel Laponte was already out of her life. They were not talking anymore. She probably already forgot about him. Like he's not on her radar anymore at this point. And this is really pertinent to the story. So they went down to the basement and the girls were like, we're going to do a spiritual seance. We're going to try to summon our mom's spirit. And guess what? Freaking Daniel was like, this is my time to shine. And you know, it's really sad when you think about it because Annie and Jessica were just teenage girls. And all they wanted was to talk to their mom again. And I think they used a Ouija board. I'm not 100% sure, but they did it and nothing happened. And they expected that. Anyways, they went upstairs and later that night, they heard knocking sound inside their bedroom wall. It didn't sound like it was from the other side of the room or next door. It sounded like it was on a wall, like a ghost was standing there and knocked on a freaking wall. And they all heard it, so they were shocked and excited because they thought it was their mom. And they asked, Mom, if that's you, please knock twice. And, and so they kept on com communicating with all of these yes or no questions with their mom. And it went on and on because every single question was being answered with the knocks. And this happened for nights. And every time they came home from school, things would be normal until bedtime. 
They started talking to the mom when the dad thought they were already asleep. And one day they came home and noticed things start moving around, like things were supposed to be on the table earlier that day, were suddenly on the floor, like very messy and angry sort of way, like someone was agitated and needed to push everything off the table. So the girl's theory was that they didn't summon their mom's spirit, but instead an evil spirit. They couldn't see or find anyone during this time. And things were broken in the kitchen too. So Brian, the dad, was upset with the girls. And he started confronting them. And the girls were like, Dad, we summoned a ghost. So it wasn't us. And Brian was like, okay, listen, girls. I know it's tough that mom is gone, but you guys can't do this. You guys need to accept it and learn how to cope with her being gone. So dad didn't believe them. Just like any horror movie you've watched, when the children try to tell the adults about these supernatural things they see, and the adults would just be like, nah, you ain't see shits. You watch too many TikTok videos. So one day, Brian was at work, and Annie and Jessica were home alone, and they heard the knocking again. And this time, it wasn't from the room. It was from the basement. So they grabbed the kitchen knives, badass Jessica and Annie, and went down to the basement to confront the spirit. And when they got down there, in red blood, it says, I'm in your room. Come find me. And thank fucking God this isn't Hollywood movie. So instead of going upstairs to check, they ran out of the house. They went to the neighbors and called the dad and told him that you need to come home. Someone's in the house. We need to call the cops. There was blood all over the wall. And they were frantic. Dad rushed home and went to the basement. It was no blood, just ketchup. Mm -hmm. There was no sign of break-ins. And the dad turned around and told the girls, okay, that's it. You are going to see someone because you guys are not doing well mentally and emotionally. And at this point, the girls were just confused and frustrated. And weeks later, it happened again. They heard knocking and this time it came from the room. The writing appeared again on the wall and it said, I'm back, find me if you can. So the girls freaked out and went to the neighbors and called the dad again. And he rushed home, stormed into the house, and again it was ketchup. And he still thought it was the girls whom did it. So he went to the neighbor's house to get the girls. And when he came back, he noticed that there were more messes were made comparing to when he was home 15, 20 minutes ago. And the girls were obviously at the neighbors the whole time. So finally, he came to a realization and he was like, okay, this isn't right. Someone is in the house. And so he told the girls to stay outside to wait for him and he went back in to check by himself. He went to Annie's room and saw a new phrase on the wall written as, marry me. And he turned around dun 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 he saw this young boy wearing his dead wife's dress with blonde wig and also wearing makeup holding a hatchet and the dad was like oh hell no so he started attacking the boy and the boy fought back and he managed to run away like daniel he vanished and brian called 911 so they did their investigation, saw that the writing was ketchup, and they found a secret hidden crawl space in Annie's room. And I don't know how they didn't know about this when they bought the house, but the police opened it up, and sure enough, there was Daniel Laplante just crowding in the wall of the crawl space. 
And so they arrested him, and they found out that he's been hiding there for months. And he also managed to drill these little holes to peep through the rooms. So yeah, this dude has been hiding in people's walls. This was not the end of a story of a sad, creepy boy who liked to dress up as someone's dead wife. Okay, that sounded really bad. But he was 16, so they sent him into juvenile detention for like a year to get some help. And he started going back to robbing houses like right away. So the motive behind this was a he was planning to hurt the girls, so Jessica and Annie. B he wanted to psychologically mess with the girls for shits and giggles. And I guess when you did petty crimes like that as a juvenile. They removed the documentations from public search after a while, so nobody really knew what exactly happened, except from the involved parties. And so he started breaking into different homes again by the age of seventeen. And unfortunately, this time he broke in this home of a pregnant woman by the name of Priscilla, and she was thirty-three years old. Her husband was at work at the time, and. They had two children, a five-year-old son and an eight-year-old daughter, and they were just at home alone. When the husband came home from work, mind you, this didn't happen at three a.m. when everyone was sleeping. So her husband found his wife was sexually assaulted, brutally, and shot twice in the head, close range. And he went into two different bathrooms in the house, and two of the kids, the five-year-old and the eight-year-old, were drowned separately in the bathtubs. So all of them were murdered, and the police was called, and they started investigating. And they found out that the bullet was actually taken from another neighbor's house. That neighbor's house was robbed recently, and the two of the handguns went missing. And they reported to the police because, you know, when your handgun goes missing, you can't just ignore it. Like your freaking ramen goes missing from your drawer. All right, so they did report it to the police, and a few of them actually believed it was Daniel Laponte. And they digged into the history, and it seemed like it fit his crime. And they put his pictures all out on the press, on the news, and the TV. And within this forty-eight hours, he already broke into another house, kidnapped a woman with her car, and she ended up jumping out of her car. She was not injured; she was fine. Well, she was not completely fine. And I think because the car at that time was stopping or going at low speed, so she was able to jump out of the car and escape. So Daniel just dumped the car, and the police found him hiding behind a freaking dumpster. Someone walked by, saw him, and recognized his face from the news, and called the police. And he was arrested, and they brought him in for interrogation, and they noticed a hair on his shoe. And obviously, that wasn't his hair, and it was tested for DNA, which belongs to Abigail, the daughter of Priscilla, who was killed in her home 48 hours ago. It didn't sound logical, like how did they spot that little hair on his shoe? And there were not a lot of evidence, but anyways, so he was sentenced to three life terms. He didn't really deny the crimes, and he didn't show any remorse. And he's now sitting in Massachusetts. And guess what he's been doing? He's trying to sue the judicial court multiple times on the basis of that they were violating his freedom to religion. And so in prison, he decided to become a Satanist. And he was really into Satanism and 
now he wanted to perform a satanic ritual in prison. And he told the guards in the prison that, listen, I need to do this religious ritual and I need you to get me these things. And so he gave them a list of things that he wanted to do. And they said, well, heck no way. And now he is suing the courts saying that violated his freedom to religion and it has been denied. And I can't even imagine what kind of things he demanded to perform the ritual. And now in Massachusetts, they passed a law where you are a juvenile, even if you commit murder and you can spend maximum like 30 to 45 years with parole. So you could spend the rest of your life in prison and you can't not have the possibility of parole. So a lot of adults, you can get life in prison, no possibilities of parole. If you change into a new person, you're never getting paroled. But they say in Massachusetts, any juvenile who was sentenced to life in prison must be paroled or have the chance to be paroled within 30 to 45 years of their term. And so Daniel appealed because um, 30 years, hello. And the judge was like, nope. We're going to give you the maximum sentence possible. So in 45 years, you have the chance to parole. So maybe in 15 years, come back. So he would have another chance of parole in another 10 or 15 years. And to assure you, that doesn't mean he's getting out. It just means he can appeal again to claim his freedom. And they can say yes or no. But a lot of people said he might not be because the psychiatrist at the prison had testified and said he showed no remorse and they believed he's suffering from multiple different personality disorders. And I think the police was just confused how someone went from burglary to stalking to rapist and murderer. So now you have it, the story of Daniel Laplante. And I was trying to get more information on this, but because he was a juvenile during both crimes, so I might have missed out quite a few things that built up to his crimes. But I hope you've enjoyed this first episode if you made it this far. And as you can see, I like talking to myself in my head when I'm alone. And so you have a tiny sneak peek of what's on my mind. If you want me to continue with this true crime stuff or you'd rather me talk about food, let me know on my Instagram, comment, DM me, whatever floats your boat. Now, bye-bye. And don't forget to lock your door at night.